Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today, we're continuing a uh, conversation that we started last week and really an announcement we made uh, about the exciting season that we're heading into together as a church. And uh, just like last week, I will give you the same disclaimer that this week and the next two weeks uh, probably are not going to feel like our typical services feel, at least in terms of teaching content. We always try and be really practical and helpful, which hopefully you feel some of that today as well. But I I think these gatherings that we're having over the next few weeks feel a little more like a family meeting and a little less like a church service, Uh, maybe feel a little more on the organizational side of things and a little uh, maybe less Bible teachy, although there will still be Bible teaching. So if you came here for church, I hope you leave feeling like you went to church. Um, But the other thing I want to acknowledge is if you're new here, uh, this might be a weird weird Sunday to kind of show up and hear about where we're headed next and really us making an ask of the people who are a part of Story Church to step up and to step out into our future together. But if you're here and you're new, I hope at the end of our time together today, uh, it actually causes you to lean in, not to lean away, that you get a taste of what we're all about, uh, about the kind of church community we want to be and where we believe God is leading us next. And honestly, I hope maybe by the end of it, you would say what the series is titled that you're in too, and that you want to be a part of what God is doing here. But uh, if you have been around for a while, the same invitation is here for you. It's a time for all of us to re-engage and to lean in, maybe even a little more, and to maybe in a fresh way say uh, back to God and as a part of Story Church, hey, I'm in for where God is leading us next. So uh, this whole season, if you haven't caught on yet by the giant two words behind me on the screen, we're wrapping this whole season, uh, really over the next two years in our church, around this title that I'm in. And uh, it's a powerful thing to, to say like, hey, I'm in with a group of people or with a community or mission or a cause. And uh, if you were with us last week, I told you that my current, like, I'm in experience in my uh, day-to-day life is I said I'm in to be a YMCA soccer coach for my daughter's uh, four- and five-year-old team. And so I felt like I needed to give you an update after all my bragging last week. Uh, We had our first game uh, yesterday, or I should say games. It is really an experience trying to wrangle uh, eight four- and five-year-olds for three soccer games when you don't really know what you're doing. So that was fun. But um, I know that I'm biased, but I was, like, super proud. I... I, they don't keep score at this age, but I was keeping score, okay, because <laughs> that's who I am and how I am, and I feel like we won, okay, so, I mean, like, nobody got hurt, that's, that's number one, but uh, anyway, it's a fun experience for me, and the whole reason I do it, uh, which we said last week, is because my daughter is really into it, right, and because I'm invested in her and her future and discovering her passions and encouraging her to grow, that's why I signed up, and I've got the clipboard and the whistle and the cleats and the shin guards and a wife who makes fun of me daily, and all that, all the stuff that comes with the territory, but it's been a blast together. Um, but in seriousness, here, here's what I want to do today. Okay, we did this a little bit last week. We're going to, you'll get this recap over the next few weeks, honestly, if you keep showing up, so bear with me if you've heard this before. Uh, but I'm going to kind of flip things around to how we did it last week. So last week, I kind of talked about the spiritual why behind what we're doing over these next few years, and then I gave you some nuts and bolts. Today, I'm going to get the like logistics stuff out of the way just as a catch-up or an invitation for those of you who missed us last week. And then we're going to talk about kind of the spiritual significance or rationale behind where we're headed together. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, specifically, last week we announced that uh, we are kicking off a two-year spiritual journey we're calling I'm In 
to help us move into our next facility, into our new home, and ultimately into the next chapter in the story of this church. And so it's this invitation we're offering for all of us to step out of our comfort zone as we step into a new season together. It's an opportunity for us uh, to step into faith and step into trust, and really an opportunity for all of us to get some skin in the game and to partner together to see what God wants to do next. And uh, the most exciting and visible part of it is we did have the opportunity uh, over the course of the past year to acquire a property that we are going to develop into our next church home. And uh, if you don't know the building, it's the former Knights of Columbus building right next to Gabriel's downtown. We're excited to be downtown and to really be kind of in the heart of the city. It doesn't look like much yet, okay, but we're going we're gonna to renovate it, I promise. In fact, uh, we have floor plans that we shared with you last week. I'll show it to you again in case you're excited about these things like I am. So, um, there will be a kid's wing dedicated to our kids' ministries. If you haven't caught on yet, we believe and love the next generation. We believe they're a part of the church today just as much as all of us adults are. So there will be a kid's wing, uh, kind of restrooms in the middle. We will still have a lobby and coffee space. And uh, there's actually some photos of it as well. So that's looking into what the building could look like uh, from doors that we're going to add off of 6th Street. Uh, there's a fireplace, so that'll be nice and cozy, especially in those winter months. All right? Everybody will be excited to gather around there. Um, we're still going to have coffee, still going to have our connection area. That's looking back uh, towards those doors on 6th Street. So again, it, it should be a great experience, a great opportunity for us to connect there before and after services. Uh, I mentioned that kids wing that we're going to have. So our kids team, I think, is incredibly excited to have their own dedicated space because right now they set up and tear down every single week, and uh, we won't have to do that anymore. So that's a beautiful thing. But we'll continue to have age-appropriate environments for our kids um, and the opportunity to use those rooms throughout the week as well, which is going to be really exciting. And then one last uh, kind of rendering that we have so far is of what our auditorium will look like. Uh, some people have asked me if like, our experience is going to change and if it's going to feel really different, because if you've been uh, in the Knights of Columbus building right now, it's a big like white concrete rectangle. Uh, we're going to create as similar of an experience as we can to fit the room. So I've just told people it's going to feel a lot like the Roxy with lower ceilings and less popcorn. Okay, uh, But it's going to be exciting. And uh, besides just the excitement right, of not having set up and tear down and the grind that that is for so many of our volunteer leaders around here, I'm really excited about the new opportunities that having our own facility might open up for us. The Roxy has been an incredible home for us for however many years you want to count us being here. Uh, but for us having our own space, it's going to open up the opportunity for us to do ministries throughout the week. Uh, I was talking with some people who were here last week about the potential for us to do like a tutoring ministry for kids after school to just walk down the street basically and get to meet with adults who care about them and want to help them succeed. Uh, we talked about similar types of ministries for adults to help some of us learn things like financial management or even just kind of one-on-one -on -one life management because I think I need to sign up for that one some days. Uh, but just to really invest in people in the community. Of course, our students, uh, it's been amazing having parents step up and offer their homes for us to host student ministry in, but we could actually host it at our facility and have more space for uh, those kids to meet together. Our groups ministry will be able to use the facility throughout the week. And so there's just opportunity after opportunity after opportunity coming our way in having our own facility. Uh, but the reality of moving into a new building, right, if you ever bought a home or, or renovated anything, you know there's cost attached to that, right? So here comes the ask part of where we're going over the next two years. Uh, we said there's really two goals for where we're headed, and our number one goal is not a dollar amount, okay? Our number one goal for this I'm in journey that we're on over the next two years is for our church to have 100% engagement. What that means is for everyone who calls Story Church your church home, 
for you to lean in and for you to do something as a part of this initiative. And I'm gonna get to the dollars and cents in just a second. Uh, But really the idea is that all of us would do something. There's this principle uh, you've probably heard of it before if you're like in business or leadership space at all. Uh, it's called the 80-20 principle. The whole idea is that typically in most organizations or groups of people, you end up with about 80% of the work being done by about 20% of the people. Unfortunately, that is like rapidly true in church communities where uh, often there's a small group of people who make it happen. And that's why our number one goal is to kind of mess with that ratio a little bit. We want everybody to do something. And here's what I know. We are all coming from different places. Okay, like spiritually, we're all in different places. That's totally okay. Uh, Financially, we are all in different places and have different capacities. So please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying all of us need to do the same thing. Okay, but really our desire is for all of us to do something. That there would not necessarily be equal gifts made amongst all of us, but equal sacrifice made amongst us. As we allow God to lead us and challenge us and stretch us uh, to discover what it looks like for us to be a part of our future together. And actually today, um, at the end of our time together, you're going to have the opportunity to grab one of these cards. Uh, We'll pass them out of the doors. Uh, These are our commitment cards that we're going to use in just a few weeks on our Commitment Sunday, which is Sunday, May 7th. And uh, I'm not asking you to fill anything out on this card today, okay? It's just kind of a prompt for you to maybe take this home with you, uh, to consider it, to pray over it, uh, pray with your family over how God may be asking you uh, to take a next step along this journey. But uh, specifically, like I said, Uh, The journey is going to begin, it's going to last over the course of two years that we're asking you to commit to, and we're going to make those commitments on Sunday, May 7th, so just a few weeks from now, and uh, over those two years, we're going to approach this opportunity uh, through what's called a one-fund giving strategy, and that sounds really exciting to all of you, right? So it's kind of important to understand, and it's a little confusing, but... Typically, what organizations will do, like if you're just in a capital campaign or trying to raise funds for a project, uh, is people will say, hey, above and beyond your regular giving, can you give X dollars to this specific project, right? So then everybody can designate it, and it's like this one big push where we all give to this one thing. And, And that's certainly not a bad way to do things, but what we're doing with a one fund approach is basically, as you make your commitments, and as you consider what your commitments will look like over the next few years, Uh, We want you to actually count your regular week-in and week-out giving to Story Church as a part of your commitment. Uh, There's a couple reasons for that. One, I think it's a a maybe more accurate picture of generosity because if we all just like stopped doing our day-in, day-out operations giving and like all gave to the building, we would have new problems (laughs) because we still need the day-in, day-out operations to continue our day-in and day-out operations. Uh, But the other thing is like, I think generosity, it's the normal rhythm of our church. It's something we talk about every single week. Uh, It's something we teach about at least every single year. And uh, we think it's a healthy thing for us to actually plan and to consider what it looks like, to not just randomly give when there's a need. I mean, again, there's a time and a place for that. But true generosity is planned and it's intentional. And so that's why we're inviting you to make that type of a commitment over the course of the next two years. And there's three ways uh, spelled out on these commitment cards to specifically partner with us that we're gonna ask you to make a commitment for on May 7th. And the first way, it's gonna maybe seem like the opposite of what I just said, but the first way are one-time gifts. These are gifts that we can make maybe out of some savings that we have, maybe you had a good year and you have more than you need, and and so a portion of that you could set aside uh, to give, maybe you have like investments or CDs that have matured and and you can cash those in. Uh, But it's this one-time gift 
that we're asking everyone to make, uh, and ideally, if possible, uh, if you can make that gift on May 7th, on our Commitment Sunday, uh, that will give us the opportunity to approach banks and have more favorable rates and all that stuff is the more we raise up front, the better, and the less we have to finance. So uh, the first thing to consider is if you could make a one-time gift, like a lump sum gift on that Commitment Sunday. Uh, the second thing is what I was just talking about, and in so many ways, I think, is a healthier rhythm. Uh, the second way to partner with us is through an increase in recurring giving. Uh, so there are so many people who are a part of our church who are amazing week in and week out to give faithfully to fund our operations and ultimately our mission. Uh, but what if for the next two years as a part of this initiative to not only raise money but really to stretch your faith, uh, you tried to bump it up just a little bit just for that two-year window. Maybe it's five bucks more a month, maybe it's 25, maybe you can do more, who knows. Uh, but if all of us do this, I think you would be surprised at how far we can go over the course of two years if, with even just a little change from each of us. And uh, if you're here and you haven't gotten in the game uh, in terms of making a recurring gift, your increase is easy, right? Because it's anything. Uh, but we'd love to challenge you and invite you to get in the game in that way. And in fact, on your commitment card, um, you'll see when you grab these, there's a little table here. And uh, it shows what can happen. Uh, I'll just read like the $25 amount. If you were to give a recurring gift $25 a week, that's $50 twice a month. That would be $100 monthly, right? You're tracking with me. I'm not great with math either, but uh, that comes out to $1,200 annually. And so over the course of two years, that would be a $2,400 commitment made towards this initiative. And that's significant over time. And if you're like me, if you're really honest, you probably accidentally spend something around that amount uh, each month. So. It's just a challenge for us to be intentional and maybe even to stretch ourselves in terms of recurring giving. And then the last uh, opportunity, the third way that you can partner with us is through what we're calling a non-cash contribution. This is uh, where we're asking you just to be kind of creative and maybe, again, you're like me and there's stuff laying around your house that you've always thought in the back of your mind, you know, I should probably just sell that or get rid of it or you just hit it, like it's in a closet somewhere, you're like just out of sight, out of mind, I don't wanna get rid of it, but I don't actually use it. Uh, maybe some of that stuff could actually be sold and be a contribution made uh, to our future together as a church. For me, I have like guitar pedals and music gear laying around that I don't use anymore. It's what I played when I was in high school and uh, I'm considering making that my contribution. It'll at least be worth a couple hundred bucks, maybe, we'll see. Uh, so for all of us, we're asking us to consider these three ways that we can give. A lump sum gift on May 7th, if possible, a recurring gift increase and or uh, some kind of creative non-cash donation along the way. And our number one goal is 100% engagement from all of us who call Story Church our home. Our number two goal is the actual dollar number that we're trying to raise. And so what we're trying to do over the course of the next two years, uh, mostly uh, to go towards our building fund, is to raise $350,000 together. And I don't know how that number hits you. Okay, I don't have $350,000 laying around. Uh, I don't know if many of us do, but uh, the power of these kinds of big initiatives is if everyone does something, we can get there. And in fact, we've been responsible in determining uh, both what we could afford in terms of a building and what kind of challenge felt appropriate for us at this stage in our growth as a church. And so as far as what we plan to do with those resources that we raise, primarily it will go to the renovation and development of that property to become our new church home. Uh, but along the way, we also plan over the next two years to add staff to our team. Right now, I'm our only paid staff, and then we have amazing volunteers who give above and beyond. But as our church grows, we want to increase our capacity to care for the people in our church. And so that will happen as we add staffing, which we hope to accomplish through this. Uh, we want to find community partners 
here in Peru who we can bless, people who are doing great work, and rather than us uh, recreating some Story Church branded version of their ministry, we just wanna come alongside them and support them, not to replicate what they're doing, but to resource what they're doing. So that will be a piece of this over the next two years. And uh, one other thing that we wanna do is we want to continue to plant churches. Uh, we are a part of a network called the New Thing Network that is regionally a group of churches and pastors who meet and just talk about what it can look like for us to plant new churches in new communities. And uh, through that, there's a guy named Micah Davis who uh, he previously was actually on staff with me at Northview Church, but he's stepping out and uh, planting a new community called The Sanctuary in his neighborhood uh, in downtown Indianapolis. It's kind of going to be a unique expression of the church. They're like a neighborhood church. So they're going to do meals together and uh, less lights and smoke machines and more like conversations around tables. Uh, we're considering through the New Thing Network supporting Micah as he starts this church. And let me speak real quickly to the elephant in the room because uh, I know we live in Peru, okay? And we're like, to me, maybe there's even a tension of like, why would I give money to some church planner in Indianapolis? Do you know how many churches there are in Indianapolis and how much money there is in Indianapolis? I get all of that, okay? But the reason that we want to do this, A, is because we haven't found a planter going anywhere else right now, okay? And we believe in the mission of the local church, that new churches reach new people. And B, we believe in all kinds of expressions of the church. In fact, it may be the most radically generous, like gospel-oriented act for a little church in a little town like Peru to turn around and be the ones helping fund a new ministry in the heart of one of our largest cities. So we're going to partner with Micah in the days ahead through this initiative as well because we believe in church planting. Uh, so... That's kind of the nuts and bolts details of where we're going. Last week, in addition to all of the logistics and, and this ask that's coming for all of us, uh, we also acknowledged that intentional generosity is not just a logistics thing, but intentional generosity is actually a spiritual thing. It, it actually, in so many ways, is tied to our faith. And again, I want to speak to the elephant in the room as it relates to that, uh, because any time right, a church or a pastor stands up and starts talking about money, there is inherently tension baked in. In fact, uh, I have to be honest with you, there have been aspects of this season that I have not been looking forward to because of the tension that comes with getting up in front of people and saying, hey, we need to raise money, we want to raise money, and even some of the manipulative tactics that sometimes can show up along the way. Like, I've been a part of churches where it's like you do the double, double offering strategy, where you do the regular offering that like funds regular ministry, and then you do a really emotional message, and at the end, like the keyboard starts playing again, and then it's offering number two, we're not going to do that here, okay? Because uh, while I think that's fine if, if that's what these communities need, uh, it feels a little manipulative at times, right? It can feel like a bait and switch. Like, what are you trying to do? It, honestly, sometimes talking about this, it can be tempting even as pastors to equate your engagement in an initiative like this and your level of faith in Jesus. That's not what I'm saying throughout this journey, okay? I'm not saying that, like, the bigger your gift, the bigger your faith. That's not necessarily true. Okay, that's not necessarily true along the way. And sometimes, if we're not careful, I think this can be tension-filled because generosity can feel overly transactional, right? Or like, if you give, then you get, uh, or like this whole thing is just about the church wants my money or, or all that stuff that we've heard before. And that's not what we're going for. In fact, I think some of the additional tension with something like this is that sometimes generosity can feel exclusive, right? We're calling it, I'm in. But for some of you, you're like, $350,000, like, I'm out. <laughs> like, like, I can't. I can't contribute at that level, or, or what could I possibly do? Like, maybe you don't feel like you have the means to engage in the challenge that I'm throwing out in front of all of us. Uh, maybe you don't feel like you can engage at the level that you want to, right? You're like, I know that I can do something, but I can't do what I want to do, and, and that's frustrating, and maybe that causes you to want to back away a little bit. Maybe you count yourself out. But here's what I believe. Uh, rather than 
generosity for us here at Story, being transactional where it's just like, hey, we need to pay the light bill, please give, or, or, or being exclusive where it's like all the wealthy people in the room are suddenly really important and all the maybe not so wealthy people are just along for the ride. Uh, rather than those two things, here's what I believe. I believe generosity, when we engage in it right, can really be transformational to our faith. That, that generosity, it, it's something all of us can practice and it can transform us because mostly it has to do with our hearts. And I got to experience this personally, and not necessarily in the realm of finances this past week, but because I was on the receiving end of just some unwarranted generosity, uh, last December, it was like Christmas break, so December, early January, and I was mindlessly scrolling on Facebook, as you do over December, Christmas break, right, <laughs> before you reset. And I saw this post uh, by somebody I know from this organization that said, hey, we're offering free one-week pastoral like mini sabbaticals, this mini retreat where uh, pastors can get away and recharge because ministry is hard and we all went through 2020 and that was crazy. And so uh, basically this guy and his wife started an organization and their heart was like, we want to give pastors a little bit of space to rest. So I saw that and I thought, what could I lose? Right? And so I applied for it and actually got the opportunity uh, to go away to Nashville, Tennessee for a week the timing was terrible, okay? It's normally not recommended to like launch a big initiative and then disappear for a week and then come back. But man, the experience of it was such a gift. I've got a couple of pictures, one of them really goofy, but I'll explain. Uh, so the one that's not goofy is where I got to stay. It was this uh, goat farm. Again, this guy, he actually had some roots in Indianapolis, so we were able to uh, talk some. He, he knew Northview Church that we were uh, part of for a season, so that was kind of fun for us to talk. Uh, but he's just a business guy who sold his business and wants to bless pastors and bless other people. They bought the goat farm, so it's a hobby farm for him, and they have a 30-foot camper on it that they let pastors and their spouses come and, and stay and get some rest in. And so I hung out at this goat farm for a week just outside of Nashville, uh, and it was this incredible experience of generosity. Again, I had coffee uh, with my host one day, which... I'll let you insight on how terrible I am as a person. They gave me a questionnaire that was like, how much do you want to hang out with people versus how much do you not want to hang out with people? And I put the slider on the not people side of things because I, I people all the time, right? It's my job to people. So I was like, I'm getting away from people. Uh, but they still like, they wrestled a coffee out of me and I'm so glad that I did because we were sitting there together and uh, to be honest, at the coffee, part of my hesitation is I was waiting for like the three hour timeshare presentation. Right, where they're going to be like, hey, now that you're here, sign on the dotted line. There never was a catch. And I can tell you, it is so powerful when you experience generosity where there is no catch, right? where it's just unwarranted, maybe even undeserved generosity that you just get to receive. Uh, the goofy picture of me making an ugly face was never supposed to be shared with anybody else. I just sent that to my family uh, while I was out on a hike uh, to be goofy. But I, I was thinking about the impact of generosity. And so I forget what day of the week it was, but I went to the state park nearby, and I just started hiking. I found a trail that said it was a quarter of a mile, and I thought I can handle that. Okay, I'm not super healthy or fit, but I can do a quarter of a mile. So I started walking, and then I just kept walking, and I kept walking, and then I realized, oh, I'm on another trail. <laughs> and I just kept going, because like, I was loving it, and the weather was amazing down there, and it was peaceful, and it was quiet, and I felt like I was just kind of connecting with God and processing my own thoughts. And next thing I know, I had walked for four miles uh, down this trail. And it was just this like incredibly life-giving experience for me to be able to get away, to be able to create space. And all of that happened on the other side of somebody's generosity. So my point is that while, yes, generosity can feel transactional, and yes, it can feel exclusive at times, what we're going after together is a type of generosity that I would describe as generative generosity. 
In other words, it's generosity that produces more of itself. I received a gift, and that gift is going to produce more in me as we head in to the next season together. So in a similar way, that's why we aren't calling this a capital campaign or a building fund, but rather it's a spiritual journey. Because over the course of the next two years, my hope is that by engaging in open-handed and open-hearted generosity, that God would grow our faith in him, that God would grow our trust, and that that would happen just like me walking four miles on accident happened, just one step at a time as we say yes to God and say yes to God and say yes to God. So alongside all of that, there is a spiritual focus that I want us to have over the course of this journey for the next two years. And uh, there's a reason we called this initiative I'm in Partially is because that's what we want you to say, right? We want you to say, hey, I'm in for the vision and where God is leading us next. Uh, But I also went full pastor mode and I want us to focus on four things that are true of our identity when it's found in Jesus. And because I'm a pastor, I cleverly started all of them with the letters I-N, okay? So there's a little little nudge in there. Uh, But here's the things we're gonna focus on over the next two years from a spiritual standpoint. I want all of us to understand that I'm invited when it comes to Jesus, that Jesus invites me in. That that I'm influential, that that Jesus actually wants to use our influence in the lives of other people, that I'm invaluable, specifically in the life and the context and ministry of a local church, that you have a part to play and that you're invested, that you have the opportunity to be invested in the work of God through the local church. We are all invited into God's family no matter where we've been. And you're invited to participate in where we're headed together no matter what your means may be or no matter how open or closed you feel to it right at this very moment. Uh, Every single one of us has influence. And if you're a follower of Jesus, there's this invitation on your life to be the salt of the earth or the light of the world that we're supposed to influence the people around us in a positive way. All of us have a gift and every gift matters and is invaluable to the life and the mission of the local church. And like I said, we're all invited to invest in the work of God. So we're gonna focus on a few of these ideas over the next few weeks and throughout the next few years together. And today with whatever time I have left, um, I wanna hone in on that idea that you're invited and that I'm invited, that all of us are invited in no matter where we've been. And isn't it true that there's like no worse feeling than feeling uninvited? Like some of you feel this about this Nashville trip right now. You saw that and you're like, you were in 80 degree weather. And so that, that feeling that you're feeling has been uh, classified and been given a name. It's the feeling of FOMO or the fear of missing out. And this is really like ramped up in social media world as we all compare our lives to one another. And there's no worse feeling, is there, than when you see uh, like a group of friends hanging out at a place you would love to go to, but you didn't get the invite? It's like, what in the world? I would have been in if you would have invited me in. And it can be so incredibly frustrating. Uh, I think if we're honest, sometimes church can feel that way too. Some of us, when it comes to church and our engagement in it, we feel disqualified because of what's in our past. Maybe you're still carrying pain that you feel like, God can't possibly use me in a significant way because of where I've been or, or what I've done. Maybe you don't feel gifted enough. You're like, okay, you say I'm invaluable, but what, what could I possibly give? Right? How could I possibly be a part of what God wants to do through this community? Again, as we're talking about this financial opportunity, this challenge in front of us, maybe you feel like I'm, I don't have the means to participate. Sometimes it can feel exclusive, uh, but one of the greatest truths about Jesus and his invitation to all of us is this. It's that Jesus invites the people that others reject. Jesus relentlessly invites people in that others reject. In fact, it is a thing about Jesus that frustrated the religious leaders of his day more than anything. Jesus was constantly hanging out with the people that you're not supposed to hang out with. 
Jesus was constantly inviting in and healing and welcoming people that the culture of the day told him to push out and to push away and to ignore. Jesus invites those that religion despises, that others overlook and who feel like they're not good enough. And this shows up uh, in this account in Jesus' life that's recorded in Luke's gospel. So Luke was a doctor who thoroughly investigated uh, the accounts of Jesus' life and eventually documented those accounts as he talked to eyewitnesses. And uh, in chapter 7, Luke records this encounter that Jesus had. And for some context around what you're about to hear about, uh, you would think in Jesus' day that Jesus would be like best friends with the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were a group of people, they kind of get a bad rap because Jesus constantly has conflict with them, spoiler alert. But uh, in their day, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of their day. They were like the holy people. They were the most pious looking people, the most pious acting people. And so everybody would have assumed that Jesus, if he's God in a body, would get along with the most holy religious people of the day. They were outwardly pious. They wore these big flowing robes that had these big tassels on them, and they prayed these loud, eloquent prayers out on the street that everybody could hear. Uh, they were a part of these elaborate ceremonies, and really, they were, they were spiritually impressive-looking people, okay? Outwardly, really impressive-looking. And as a result of that, what the Pharisees did is they distanced themselves from anyone classified as a sinner, right? They were so holy that they wanted to distance themselves from anybody who was considered Unholy. And so what happens in Luke's account is one day this Pharisee named Simon decides to throw a house party and invite all of his Pharisee friends over. And uh, this wasn't as exciting as it sounds, okay? There were no like kosher hot dogs and no Jewish rappers or anything like that. Uh, But really these Pharisee parties that happened, they were like public discussions. Uh, There was like a TED talk on steroids where these religious leaders would come together and they would just talk about uh, the cultural moment of their day or some of the things that they were experiencing and what God may have to say and what the law had to say about their current events. And so one day Simon throws this party and what happens is Jesus gets invited to the party too. And so Jesus shows up, but then suddenly someone shows up at this party who was not invited. And when this person walked into the party, it was the most shocking thing that the Pharisees had ever experienced and they hated every moment of it. And here's what the text says. It says a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So that phrase, living a sinful life, that's like the coded language or or the tame language that scripture uses uh, to essentially say that this woman was a prostitute in the town. That that this call girl walks into the middle of the meeting of religious leaders and and this outward religious display and she walks in and and the Pharisees are like, whoa, 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 whoa. that's not right. Right? She's not invited to the party, she, she's unclean by the law. She's, she's impure. She is a sinner. She's not one of these people. You know what that's like, right? When it's like, whoa, you're not one of us, and you just walked in the room. To them, she's unworthy, and she's not invited. And, and we don't know uh, what led her to this point in her story. Okay, I don't know if there's some family history, some family package that she went through that, that caused her to end up in this type of lifestyle. Maybe she was getting out of a difficult relationship, some type of abuse that she herself had experienced. Often that's what happens. Those who are caught in these types of cycles have been abused themselves. Maybe she was just trying to make ends meet, right? And this was seemingly to her the only way that she could provide for herself or for her family. We don't know what got her in the situation she was in, but it's not hard to imagine that she didn't want to be there, right? 
There's not very many little boys and little girls who want to grow up and have her profession when they're in elementary school, right? She felt uninvited, and yet, what did she do? The woman walks right into the Pharisee's party, and then she goes straight over to Jesus, and she takes out this jar of perfume and falls in a posture of worship at his feet and starts to pour the perfume down on Jesus' feet. That seems weird to us, right? That's not something we culturally do. But, but in that day, it was this incredible act of honor and of worship to effectively anoint Jesus. And it's so extraordinary because the value of this perfume that she breaks on Jesus' feet would have likely been worth a year of her salary. Like this was incredibly expensive stuff. It was likely her savings that she was pouring out on Jesus' feet. But not only was it valuable financially, but in many ways, it was a symbol of her future on this career path that she was on. Because this woman would likely use that perfume to make herself attractive to the men passing by. That actually perfume in these days for this profession was used to be an indicator that she was effectively saying, I'm selling my body. So this was her means of livelihood. This was the thing that was going to allow her to continue on the path that she was on. And she shows up in front of Jesus and she breaks this valuable gift to honor him. And in so many ways, she also is saying, hey, I'm leaving my old lifestyle. Like, I, I don't have what I need to continue doing the work that I've been doing. And so she gives away her most valuable possession that represented her future. And here's what I hope you're already getting today. But for our journey together over the next few years, I hope you hear loud and clear that regardless of your means, you're invited. Regardless of what's in your story, regardless of, of what's happened in your past, you're invited to be a part of what God is going to do in us and through us through this next season. I said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again. 100% engagement means equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. So we can't all write the same kind of checks. We can't all sell the same kind of things. And that's okay. But my challenge to you is to see that everyone can do something. And it's better than that too, because the story goes on. And the text tells us this, that as she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair kissed them, and poured perfume on on them. And again, it kind of sounds like just a different way of saying what I just told you, that she's pouring this perfume. But the outrageous thing that she did was she let her hair down. Because Jewish women in this culture, by the law, were not allowed to let their hair down in a setting like that amongst religious leaders, amongst all these powerful men. And yet she's so overcome by emotion at the feet of Jesus. She's in such a worshipful posture that she begins to wash his feet using her hair, And the Pharisees see this, right? Simon, who threw the party, sees this, and they are outraged. They can't believe it. In fact, Luke has this insight into what was going on in Simon's mind. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner, So Simon sees this interaction with Jesus, and Simon, being the good Pharisee, makes the assumption, like, whoa, 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 either Jesus doesn't know who she is and what she's doing, or Jesus isn't who Jesus says that he is, because if if this is God, right, or a rabbi, or a prophet, or a great man, he would never associate with her. He he would never allow that. And, And so he makes this statement to himself, and it's like Jesus is like, hey, I can read your mind, pal. And so Jesus turns to Simon, Actually, Jesus turns to the woman, here's what the text says, that Jesus turned to the woman and then says to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. In other words, Jesus is like, hey, big religious leader, what, what have you done? And look at what she's done. Like, look at her openness, her devotion, her willingness to give so freely compared to the holy person's offstanding posture, right? And then Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. It had to be an extraordinarily powerful moment. Right, turning the order of the day upside down as Jesus so often did, looking at the rejected person. Jesus says, you're invited in. And he issues this challenge to the religious person and says, hey, your love is gonna be proven through your actions, right? If you're so forgiven, you love big. If you're so forgiven, love big. And Jesus invited the one in who gave what she had. Jesus invited the one who gave what she had. She wasn't disqualified because of her past. She wasn't disqualified because of what she was giving, but rather she was evaluated not based on what she contributed, but simply that she contributed. She was forgiven and she was loved and she was welcomed in because she approached Jesus open-handedly and open-heartedly. And this happens time and time and time again throughout the story of God. And so as we wrap up, um, I wanna share with you one other quick account uh, in scripture. And it's an account you're probably familiar with if you've been around church for any amount of time, but I think there's like some little details along the way that we often gloss over as we've turned it into a church story. But it's the story of uh, Jesus performing the miracle of multiplying the fish and loaves to feed 5,000 people. Again, it's kind of a Sunday school story that we often hear. I thought about giving you like just a quick summary of it, but I'm just going to read from the text and make a couple of comments along the way uh, again as we wrap up. But uh, Jesus was, was doing his ministry and this crowd starts to gather together. And, and as it's recorded in John's gospel, it says this, that when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do, which I love that. Jesus is kind of like, hey, Philip, what do you think we should do? Knowing he's about to show off to all of them, right? And Philip's like, uh, Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Philip's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I don't have the means. Maybe that's how $350,000 feels to you right now. Right? You're like, ah, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, and then another disciple, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And he says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So, Andrew takes a flyer, right? And he's like, hey, Jesus, I found a kid and he's got some food. Does this work? And Jesus says, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. So they sat down. About 5,000 men were there, which uh, the way that this culture tend to count numbers, 5,000 men likely means, I mean, we know there were children there as well. They weren't in that count. There were likely women there as well. So this is a huge crowd that's gathered together. And Jesus then took the loaves and he gave thanks and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And then when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. See, this is the power of the story, right? This little boy offers what little he has and Jesus multiplies it so that there is more than enough for everyone. There's leftovers. 
right? What a weird flex for Jesus, right? He's like, take the leftovers home, guys, because that's what I can do with what little you offer to me. And in fact, here's the result of what Jesus does. It says, after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world, right? Surely this is the person God has sent for us. They saw the way that he provided, even from the little that was given. And as we wrap up, as we talk about this idea of all of us being invited, wherever you find yourself, I want you to think for a second about the multiple layers of provision that happen in this story. The obvious one is God, right? Showing up through Jesus, multiplying this gift to feed people and to leave the leftovers. Then there's another obvious one. There's the boy who had the courage to walk up and to offer what little he had. I mean, imagine how embarrassing that would have been if he wasn't maybe a little boy, but he was a grown-up like us. <laughs> and you, you walk up to Jesus and you're like, does this fix it? <laughs> That's how it feels sometimes, isn't it? But this boy had the courage to say, here's what I've got. And because of that, Jesus performed the miracle. But what if we take it one layer further back? Because that little boy probably didn't pack his own lunch, right? You know how it goes in the mornings. Like, Mom probably packed up that basket of fishes and loaves just like she did every morning. Maybe wrote a little note to him, right, and tucked it in there, sent him off on his way. And because of her ordinary everyday faithfulness with what she had, with what she was called to do, a miracle happened. And thousands of people were astonished at who Jesus is and what Jesus could do. Here's the point. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, and no matter what you think you have or think you don't have, stepping out and saying, God, here's what I've got, can be transformational for all of us. That's why we're going on this journey together. I said this last week, I'll say it again. If somebody is able to write a $350,000 check today and just be like, here you go, took care of it, we're still going on this journey for the next two years. Okay? You can do that, by the way, if you have the means. I will accept the check. But we're going to go on this journey together because it's not just about the transaction. Right? It's not just even about the building. It's about the opportunity for us to say to Jesus, here's what I have, will you use it? Right? Here's what I have to offer, will you use it? Will you make an impact in this community? Not even just for my sake, but for the sake of the people that we're called to reach. Here's the point. You're invited. You're invited to be a part of what Jesus is doing in this world and in this community and through this church as we step into the next season together. And so here's all I'm asking for you today. As you walk out, uh, you're going to have the opportunity to grab one of these commitment cards. I'm not asking you to fill out a single thing on this today. Okay, I want you to take it with you, and I want you to do two things. It's the same two things as last week if you were here. I want you to pray, and I want you to prioritize. So take this card, and you know, with your family members, or if you're here on your own, take it on your own. And, and maybe intentionally for the next two weeks before we hit that commitment Sunday, ask God, God, how do you want to use me for this I'm in vision? Right? What, what, what do I write on the blanks? Like, what do I have to give and can you use it? Man, that's a powerful prayer to ask God to answer. And then on the priority side of things, prioritize joining us over the next few weeks as we continue to talk about what it looks like for all of us to be in and for where God is leading us in the next season. And especially prioritize joining us on May 7th for that Commitment Sunday. It's going to be a powerful day where those of us who are in put a flag in the ground and say, yeah, God, I'm in for the next chapter here at Story Church. Let me pray for you as we wrap up. God, I pray uh, just that we wouldn't overlook the simple power of what we've talked about today, that all of us can do something and that all of us are invited in. God, I pray for the person in the room today with the past, which by the way is all of us, 
But, but the person in the room today who maybe is still struggling with that past, they feel stuck because of where they've been, God, help them see clearly that you invite in the people that others reject, that you invite in every single one of us, regardless of what our means may be, regardless of what our story may be. You invite us to be a part of the work that you want us to do. So as we step into this journey together over the next few weeks and ultimately into the next few years, I pray that you would give us the courage to open our hearts and open our hands and to allow you to lead us in how you want us to be a part of this next chapter here at Story Church. God, we love you and we thank you for who you are and that you use ordinary people like us. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.